It wasn't a walk in the park. Well, actually, it was. 11 walks and 17 men left on base later, and the Mets win Thursday and split the four games with the Cardinals. It wasn't pretty, but we'll take it. And Donnie Diesel has stepped in or on. The Mets fired hitting coach Chili Davis after the game Monday. Did they make the right decision? Speaking of hitting coaches, we'll chat with former Mets hitting coach and a hell of a hitter in his day. It's Mr. 3030, 1986 World Series champion, Hojo Howard Johnson. So walk to your fridge, grab a beverage, and take a rip. It's time for Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York, folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review. Jake Brown here at Jake Brown Radio on Twitter. Figgy there at Figgy NY. That's Mr. Nelson Figueroa. Don't come in his Twitter mentions. He might get mad at you and come firing back. Uh, Figgy came firing, guns blazing to some haters on Twitter, but... You know, that's the big news that we got to get into. Obviously, the Mets split Figgy with the Cardinals, and we'll talk to Howard Johnson about the big story of the week, the former Mets hitting coach, about the one that was fired on Monday. We had a show. We release it. And in typical amazing but true fashion, Figgy, hours later, monster news happens and the Mets fire Chili Davis. They didn't replace him with Donnie Diesel, Donnie Stevenson. They replaced him with a guy you would think is the fake phantom person, Hugh Quattlebaum. That sounds like your second grade teacher in elementary school. Like, Mr. Quattlebaum, um, what did I get on my test? Like, what kind of name is that? But Chili Davis, Figgy, the Mets offense has been bad, and someone gets the blame here, and there's you can't fire the hitters. So at, at that point, I guess Chili Davis was the first man that had to get the axe. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what you're seeing, but it's a new regime and a new, I think, way of thinking. I can't sit here and... and 23 games into a season, say that Chili Davis is to blame for why the hitters aren't hitting. And I don't think any single one of these hitters would sit there and say the same thing. There's no way that they're blaming Chili Davis or Chili Davis's approach or Chili Davis's old school. He doesn't understand the new way, the new approach, the new era. What are they talking about when I read this stuff all over the internet and that he was fired a week ago, but they had to wait for proper COVID protocol. Meanwhile, guys get called up every single day. You can get a 15-minute rapid test to check and see if you have COVID. So I'm not buying that he was fired a week ago and they just let him know after the game on Monday. I am of the the mindset that all this joking around about the infamous Donnie Stevenson, the made-up approach coach who helped this pathetic offense find some success over the weekend in a bad series of baseball down in Philadelphia, although they won two out of three, I sat there saying this was very bad baseball. And and to be proud of that and, and to see that these guys are giving credit to a fictitious character, meanwhile, trying to break them out of this slump, trying to make them not the laughing stock of baseball because they ranked almost 30th in every single category other than, yes, they got on base with, with a, uh, a batting average that was respectable, fifth in the National League. But they got on base, but they couldn't drive runners in. So what does it matter if you're getting on base? It was all singles, blue pits, nothing hit with authority, no extra bases. They're near the bottom and slugging in the National League as well. So now you sit there and you go, wait a minute, they had success. And who are they giving credit to? 
Donnie Diesel told us to just rip fastballs. That, to me, it was the kind of nail in the coffin. And what already was a guy was on thin ice because this team is expected to be, you know, at the very top in hitting. They were last year. He was a consultant from far, but he still worked with these guys. And if you talk about working with the approach and the mental side, if he wasn't there physically every day, he was there talking to these guys mentally and going over things with them and making sure that they were on the same page with what the plan of attack was. I just think that it was poor choice, poor taste to not at least give credit to, hey, I'm busting my butt with Chili and Slate and trying to get right. I'm busting my butt and I'm glad I had some success. I got to give credit to Chili and Slate for you know staying with me every day, throwing with extra with me, making sure that I'm getting all the work that I need. I think they look back and we heard that Pete Alonso cried in his locker because they let Chili Davis go. I think you look back now and you think, hey, being a little bit more professional about somebody else's job, how important that is. It's a respect factor. And I don't care what people say to me on the internet, on social media. Jake, if you think out of 20,000 people that follow me, five people told me to go fly a kite, you think that really bothers me? Yeah, I, I think, think that, that that actually, yes. I think that means it bothers you more. Fig- I go, no. I'm starting please, to worry go, this. I, you I are go ve- right after him. You are very against Donnie Stevenson. It, it means one of two things. It means, one, when you were young, an imaginary friend left you, and, and you're still sad about it. You had an imaginary friend. I don't know what their name might have been. Maybe it was Hugh Quattlebaum. Uh, <laughs> or you never had an imaginary friend. So it was. It, I feel like it's one of the two things, and uh, you're very anti-Donnie Donnie Diesel, Figgy. No, I'll give it to you this way if i was graduating high school and going to college and at my valedictorian speech i gave credit to my imaginary friend and not my parents <laughs> maybe they got you through some tough times i don't know yeah <laughs> uh, this is what i'm saying it wasn't tough times it was just it was such a laughing stock of an offense that they had to make up something to joke around it's not a joking matter it's not a laughing matter because the pitchers are pitching their asses off you look at what's going on with this team and there's still a top of the division, you know, playing 500 baseball, they should be far and away smashing through the NL East, especially while they were all down and everybody's playing, you know, not great baseball in the NL East. They had an opportunity to be up five, six, seven games in the standings. And instead they're having jovial fun at the expense of a guy like Chili Davis. Yeah, I do agree. It is belittling him a little bit, making up an imaginary person. So I will agree with you there, but um, I think he had to go. And I think Luis Rojas, should be next. And listen, the Mets are 500. Like, I know we're complaining and stuff, but this team's 13 and 13, and this week was not pretty. But you take the wins when you can get them. And Thursday, it took 11 walks from the Cardinals. Good God. How bad is their pitching? And Keith Hernandez, we got to do a Keith Hernandez deep sigh tally because his deep <laughs> size. It's, it's like me when KFC was out of chicken that one time. I, I just had the deepest sigh. I'm like, you're Kentucky Fried Chicken with, with Kentucky Fried Mashed Potatoes. It was KFMP. Um, so I, I the, the whole deep sigh thing with Keith is just awesome. He always just sounds like he just wants to go home. Uh, and these road games, he can go home. That's I think that's why he's mad because he's not in St. Louis for these games. And I think he had the whole uh, going in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, and it's coming in August. Congrats to Keith on that. He'll be in the Mets and Cardinals Hall of Fame. But, yeah, he he's frustrated by it. I'll take it. You know, with how bad this offense, they left 17 guys on base. We always joke, Figgy, that they leave the seven-line army on the base pass. They are driving no one in. And if it takes a walk, fine, but – at some point, this team is going to have to get runners home. You see the frustration from McNeil. You see it from Lindor. But in speaking of Lindor, can we can we all at Amazing But True give a huge round of applause? <laughs> Francisco, let me hear the cheers. He's finally got a hit. 0 for 26. The streak is over. It might have been a, a cheap single. It might have been a little single, but we will take it. 
We'll talk with Howie, Howie, uh, not Howie Rose, Howard Johnson. I'm thinking of Howie Rose because my mom is sitting next to me for this episode of Amazing But True. Noelle Brown is in the building. She'll join us in a few minutes. Special guest. Add that to the the guest list uh, of uh, our big A-list Amazing But True guest. But Howard Johnson will talk about it with us, Figgy. But, man, we've mentioned the last few shows, but it went to 26 straight. Luckily, he's getting some walks. But something has got to give. And, Figgy, maybe this single... as little as it may be, gets him in the right direction heading into City Field against the Diamondbacks this weekend. Yeah, that was remember we were at that game when uh, Degrom pitched, and we saw Michael Conforto kind of get himself started uh, with a little bloop, sing, uh, bloop single to left field, and then he hit another ball that wasn't hit very hard. And I kept saying it's not the ones that you square up because you feel like you square up some balls and you wind up hitting line drives. Those are the frustrating ones when you get yourself out on pitches down the middle of the plate. Those are the frustrating ones. It's when you you have to take an excuse me swing and you get a hit for it that it kind of take a deep breath and you see the smile on their faces and you saw him smiling there because he finally got on base the guys joked around with him like you know we're going to save the ball for you kind of thing and that's that's all fair and good and that's what happens when you're winning that you can do things like that i was impressed with him you know being able to take walks the way he took pitches the way he you know is letting the ball travel a little bit more i still am not seeing even that hit that was a pitch that really should have been hammered a lot uh, with more authority than the the weak single pull through the the shift. Right now he's pull happy. I haven't seen him hit one ball with any kind of authority to the left of of second base. And I think until he starts to do that and starts hitting that ball the other way or taking the ball back up the middle and stop trying to yank everything and, and whether it's trying to hit a home run or whether it's trying to you know pull the ball off the wall, whatever it is, that approach hasn't been working. And uh, somebody's got to get through to him. You know, he said there's been a lot of support pouring out from former players, coaches, managers, reaching out to him, trying to you know almost give him not just words of encouragement, but you know people are trying, hey, do this, do that, do the other thing. That stuff spins in your head as well. You got to remember he's making. 340 million over the next 10 years i'm okay with him struggling he's not going to be this bad for the next 10 years and even if they sat him for two games of the four game series i would have been okay with it because you're looking for him for the long haul this isn't just a one series kind of thing you want him to get right and the way he was swinging and the way his body language was after some of his at bats you can see the frustration really mounting so hopefully this little single leads to bigger and better things. If he's that bad for 10 years, he'll be Jason Bay on crack, who we'll talk about. Who, you know, <laughs> Jason Bay's first year ended up being Hojo's last year's hitting coach. There may have been a coincidence, coincidence? there. He it's knows not. about a high-paid player not performing and getting fired because of it. Uh, Chili Davis is somewhere in the corner uh, laughing at that. But you know what? We, we'd be doing a disservice, Figgy, if we did not credit the real hero on Thursday, and that's Taiwan Walker. This guy is pitching like a number two, really pitching like an ace, not even a number two. And he's the guy the Mets got late in the offseason, and it was kind of a debate between him and who else might be out there. And uh, Jake Odorizzi, would they get him? I was clamoring for Jake Odorizzi. They end up getting Taiwan Walker, and he has been a godsend for this team. And how important that is can't be understated with the fact that Carlos Carrasco is now out till June. Uh, his hamstring's not fully there. He needs to get it in shape where he could field balls, and he's going to be out at least till May 31st, but it's probably be mid-June knowing the Mets. They'll probably take it extra slow, and his role is that much more important, Figgy, because we've seen a lot of Joey Lucchese not look good. We'll see him at City Field this weekend. We saw Jordan Yamamoto come up and look good. They optioned him, but I'm sure within a week or two, Yamamoto's going to be back because he was fantastic. 
But Taiwan Walker, my God, he has been fun. He's been awesome. I already knew I was going to like him when he opened talking about wine and the Tom Seaver bottle of wine he drank or he was sent when when he uh, signed with the Mets. So God bless Taiwan Walker. Yeah, he's been really a, a breath of fresh air, um, really from when he signed and came in spring training. He was throwing the ball fantastic, sitting at like 96, 97 miles an hour, showed strong breaking ball, good feel for a changeup, moving the ball around. And he has a presence when he's on the mound. That's what I think I love more than anything is he has a presence on the mound. Like he's unflappable at times. I haven't seen him really. He had that one game, I think, that he fell apart in. And the only hit he gave up Thursday was in a shift. I mean, it was because it it was basically a no hitter if there was no shift. Yeah, no, and he's he's been fantastic. He's he, he got to pinch hit the other night trying to butt. How about that? He's yeah. getting he's living his best life right now. I'm sorry, he went from a guy who you know had to sign late, and right now the way he's pitching, you're so comfortable with seeing his name out there. He's always he's always on the attack with his arsenal, fastball, curveball, moving the ball around. I love everything that I've seen from him. You see his authentic self out there when he's out there on the mound. I don't think he's trying to be anybody else. I don't think he's trying to be a superhero. I don't think he's trying to be a character. I think he's just focused on, you know what? I I got a a contract with these guys. I'm looking for bigger and better things. If I can just continue to be the pitcher that they signed when they saw what he was doing and he turned it around with Toronto last year, been that and more thus far this season. Every little thing I do never seems enough for you. You don't want to lose it again, but I'm not like them. Baby, when you finally get to love somebody, guess what? It's going to be May. That's the other story. (laughs) If you didn't know, that's that's the it's going to be me, but it's really it's going to be me, May, no strings attached. Because Trevor May has been absolutely dominant. We talk about Tywan Walker. Now we talk about the bullpen. He's been a fantastic setup, man. I told you this was going to be his month just because of the song and Justin Timberlake. If this weekend Trevor May, May, I can't even say it because I got in sync on my mind. (laughs) If that isn't his entrance music this weekend, the Mets are doing the fans a disservice. We know we always talk about Timmy Trumpet for Edwin Diaz and, and Narco. We need it's going to be May. He's been great. You know, Diaz came in, closed the door after giving us a heart attack, essentially, on Sunday. Familia's been good. Loop's been pretty solid. Man, if this team figure could just figure out a way to drive and run and not play as sloppy as they have, there have been a lot of positives that you can take from this team right now. Yeah, no, that's what really what it's come down to. If you look at the bullpen, the bullpen has been really solid. Edwin Diaz had that little implosion and we we always talk about when it's not a safe situation, those closers go in. They always get lit up for some reason. Don't know why, it's just the way it's been for about 160 years of baseball, right? Peterson has been pitching uh, better and better. He had that one game where he got beat up early on and then he's been consistently better each and every time out. Familia, you're looking at a guy with a 1-1-3 RA, and I hate saying it out loud because I feel like all of a sudden it's going to jinx it. Yeah, it's going to it's going to go bad. It's going to go bad tomorrow. You just know it is. But he's actually been throwing the ball and I said I said to you early on in the season, he made an adjustment the way he starts out his mechanics. Uh, he made an adjustment keeping his front shoulder in a little bit more. The depth on his sinker is back. You, you see the life on his fastball, you see the life on his split. He's throwing the slider for strikes. That's what he needs to do. And he's also added that four seamer which for a good three years I've been arguing with him about because he has to be able to throw that four-seamer. He's throwing it 98 miles an hour. If he can just keep that straight in the strike zone then take the sinker out of the strike zone, that's where it becomes a a, a headache uh, for these right-handed hitters especially. I I, I like everything I've seen thus far. Loop, uh, of course, hasn't given up a run yet. Uh, Lucchese, 
that implosion happened so fast. And He's been the was, one negative, honestly. Every I, I'm trying to think what else has been really bad on the pitching side. Uh, obviously, you said the Petersons, a uh, few bad outings. Gazelman's even improved. Luke Casey's been like, I feel like the one guy who just hasn't been good. I know he hasn't it hasn't been a big sample size, but he's the one guy who hasn't been up to par. Yeah, and I, I, again, he, what were you expecting? He was going to be a fifth starter, a sixth starter when everybody's healthy, seventh starter when everybody's really healthy, when you get back Carrasco and Syndergaard. Then you start looking at that, and you're like, okay, good. He's just added depth. Yamamoto was added as depth. So I don't want to see a lot of these pieces. I'm excited to hopefully see those other two guys back by June. You look at Miguel Castro, what a difference a pitch makes. His new changeup that he's been throwing and throwing it so effectively that – Guys that have seen him last year or the last two years with the Mets, guys that have seen him already, and and you're always saying it's only amount of time before he gets wild or he puts one right over the middle of the plate. Well, he did on uh, on on what was it on Sunday? He did one of them, right? But the, other than that, he's been quite frankly pretty filthy with a hundred mile an hour fastball, a ninety two to ninety four mile an hour changeup, and a nice breaking ball to go along with it. So he's been a, a breath of fresh air as well for me. I, I like the makeup right now. I, I still can't wait to get back Lugo still can't wait for those other guys to get healthy. And uh, again, scoring two of the 17 guys you leave on base would make everybody breathe a little easier in Mets land. It's been Barnes, a couple of bad outings, Lucchese and a couple bad from Peterson, but you look at the ERAs across the board and they are all very respectable outside of Luis Guillorme when he pitched and, and the Mets <laughs> will get him back Sunday when they return home, three games at city field. God, you take a week away from the Mets to me. I feel like I haven't been there in ages and I go like every night. Uh, can't wait to be back against the Diamondbacks. And speaking of returning home, I have returned home into South Carolina, and I am in my mom's scrapbook room right now. She's got pictures of me as a seven-year-old. She has a cardboard cutout of me from my bar mitzvah table in an Edgardo Alfonso jersey that you guys are looking at right now, and I'm putting two fingers down right near where I have two of something down there is where I'm putting the peace sign. And, uh-huh. and as my mom says, oh, my God, in the background. That, that was how many chicken palms you wanted right there. <laughs> yeah, palms, yeah. And you have the backwards hat. Not a fitted. I have upgraded. The glow-up is strong because this is an adjustable backward hat when I had hair. As a, I guess this is when I was 13, and in my mom's scrapbook room, why not bring on the legend? You know, you've heard about her with Howie Rose. If you're a true amazing but true listener, go back and listen to that with Howie from July of last year where he remembered meeting my mom in the Toyota dealership in Queens, Mom. I know she, she's, she doesn't want to talk about Howie Rose, but uh, welcome to the show, Mom. How are you? Great. Great to hear, have you here with us. She Aww. she she gave me a hug and was in tears earlier. So, you know, I've been working nonstop, as you guys know, running seven shows here uh, with the New York Post. It's a lot of work, but it's good to be home, Mom. And now you are a Mets fan. You used to go to high school with a former Met that we know of. And I know you have a story about a former Met. I don't want to say legend, but a solid former Met player. Well, he was a legend at one point. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> Lee Mazzilli. Hey, the Maz. Tell, do you know Lee uh, Figgy? Have you spoken Lee? Yes, of course. Lincoln High. We all, we all, we all went to Lincoln. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, Figgy, you went to Lincoln? Oh, my God. We discussed this, actually. Wow, I, for, I, I forgot this is a good talking point. 
We went to the team hotel in Atlanta when I was 17. Mets Braves. Figgy was checking in. He was about to be at the concierge desk or whatever. And I'm a kid and I was still nervous, I guess, to talk to players and stuff. I met David Wright the next day next to a sign that said, no autographs or photos, please. And I took an autograph and a photo and my hand was shaking. And Figgy's at the desk and I said, mom, I think he went to, we, I think we Googled it. And it's like, he went to Lincoln High School. And my mom went up to Figgy and now... 13 years later, here we are on the video chat on Amazing But True, and you're my co-host, Mom, Lincoln High School, right? Yeah, that's where I went. Class of what? Uh Uh-oh. 73. Class of 73. Figgy, what what class were you? I was uh, 92. Tell us your Lee Mazzilli stories, Mom. I went to school with Lee Mazzilli from first grade through high school. And when we were in elementary school, every Monday you had to bring in something for show and tell. So he would come in with his ice skating trophies, which you probably didn't realize he was an ice skater. And I don't know where the baseball started. He went from being a champion ice skater and then all of a sudden in high school he was on the team. Hold on. Let me clarify because you're saying ice skater. He was a speed skater. Oh, speed skater. Yeah, he had quads for days. He had quadzillas. So a funny, like, small world thing. So my dad's an electrician in Brooklyn, New York. And so my dad is fixing this lady's bell. And her name happened to be Mazzilli. And my dad goes in there and he's looking around. And he sees all these pictures of Lee Mazzilli in the Olympic speed skating outfits and everything else. Oh. And my dad's laughing. And I had already signed my pro contract to be with the Mets. And so my dad got to meet Lee Mazzilli's grandmother and both from Lincoln High. He's like, yeah, my son just signed with the New York Mets as well. So very small world. And the fact yeah, that she said connected. that is great. <laughs> You're right, we are. What, what else do you know about Lee Mazzilli? you have any other fun facts? Oh, well, this one's not that fun, but then when he was coaching for the Yankees, I wrote a long letter about Jake was obsessed, not that he's not obsessed now, but he was really obsessed when he was younger with sports. And I wrote Lee, we were going to a Yankee game, and I wrote Lee a long letter about how we went to school together, and his father was our piano tuner, and his mother worked in the beauty parlor. Could he please come over at the end of the game and sign a ball for my son Jake? So my husband said, how are you going to give him this letter? He's, he's on the field. So I gave it to a security guard, and we waited like a bunch of dopes for an hour after the game. And my husband said, well, he's not coming. I said, yeah, he's coming. He'll be here. And he never showed up. And then when we got home, we had taped the game. And you could see during the game, you could see the camera show the security guard handing Lee the note. Oh, so wow. he did get it, and he stiffed me. So... That's a bit. That's my Lee Mazzilli story. I don't think we can say that. But, yeah, and she leaves out the fact that, so we were in the first row behind the on-deck circle, so I think he did, Mom. I think he looked over and he winked in our direction, right? Oh, yeah, he winked all right. <laughs> he winked all right. Uh-oh. Was there was there any romance in the air, Mom? Then? No, there was no romance with him. Oh, she's mad. <laughs> she's so mad. Hey, no, don't worry. Listen, I'll, I'll I'll reach out to him. I'll get you that ball, Jakey Poo. I'll get you that ball. Well, can we, ar- can we arrange Lee Mazzilli on the show with Noel Brown on the other line? We well, would he remember? 
he should remember. Well, well, like, can we arrange that, Feggy? We'll leave. Yeah. It, well, we were trying to arrange how he rose with my mom today and how he's been too busy this week. I almost want to give him a, a cold call right now and see if he would pick up. <laughs> uh, that would make for a hell of a introduction, but we don't want to bother Howie. We no. know he had, you know, he had that medical condition, whatever. So don't, don't worry. I'll reach out. I'll reach out to Lee. We'll make something happen. All right, Lee and Howie. And you were impressed that Howie mom remembered uh, meeting you and, and writing the number on the business card. I didn't think he would remember that. I really was impressed. The story was that a couple weeks later, he tried to call you and you were with our dad, who is also in the room. He's not on screen, but he is in the corner sitting, may, probably looking at cars or something. But he's sitting over there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But you, uh, three weeks later, he called and you were in love. Yeah, he waited too long. I was already in love with daddy and it was Damn. too late. Damn. Three Bob, weeks. What a difference three weeks makes. Bob right. Bob Brown is in the corner flexing his guns right now saying, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the captain now, he said. Uh, <laughs> and I, I either would have been Jake look, Rose or look, I would never look have. Me, look at me. I'm the captain yeah, now. I'm the captain now. I would have either been Jake Rose or I wouldn't be a fetus. I wouldn't have ever been uh, been born. So uh, who knows what would happen? Oh, I could have been the next uh, radio voice of the New York Mets. What could have been, Figgy? And you have anything else to add, Mom? Do you have anything to add about my childhood, bar mitzvah? Any any fun facts that you want to add? I have one fun fact. Ooh, Jake good. got a lot of money for his bar mitzvah gifts. Uh-huh. And within 24 hours, every penny of it was gone. <laughs> it is what true. It's what definitely do do? true. He used all his bar mitzvah money to buy seats from old Shea Stadium. Oh, and, I, and I asked him not to God. do that. He said, it's my bar mitzvah money. I could do what I want with it. And we had to step back and we let him do it. And then he ended up auctioning them off because he realized, what well, was he going to, he, he needed the money. So oh. <laughs> we have nothing to show for his bar mitzvah except... Some old yarmulkes. She won't hand the mic back now. Now, she, yeah. now she's holding. She's like, I'm, this is my show now. The, the true story is, yes, I spent it all. But through high school, I did buy Shea seats for like 800 But I had $10,000 of bar mitzvah money. I will, I will attest. Sports cards, going bowling. And I was a good kid in high school. Like, I didn't do anything crazy. I, I just would go bowling and go to sporting events. For real. I didn't even curse. I would download the clean versions of rap songs on iTunes. Marius Yahoo. I would download, like, big SH, you know what, popping was big things popping for me. Lollipop was literally about lollipops that I would go oh, at and boy. get at the doctor's office. So uh, it, was a, it was a different world back then. You can attest to that, Mom. I didn't curse and when I did, when I said Pikachu sucks, you put uh, soap in my mouth. I didn't put soap in your mouth. I think Daddy did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. There was soap oh, in my mouth boy. for uh, Pikachu. There's a, knock, there's a knock at the door. Yeah. <laughs> They're taking Mr. Brown away. Irish Spring coming right up. Irish Spring or Dove you want today, Jake? I'll take the Irish Spring. It tastes better. <laughs> Kill what, two birds with one stone. What a time to be alive. Any other fun? My mom was pretty entertaining. We might have to ever be a weekly uh, occurrence. Brian is loving it over there. Uh, any other fun facts? Bar Mitzvah blew all the money. I do, yes. Yeah, I used to go to sports card and memorabilia shows. We talked to Sabota. That's how I'd meet all the 69 Mets. I would go to all these sports card shows, met 20 of them, and I would just spend my money on game-used jersey cards, game-used back cards, jerseys, baseball games, bowling. That was it. Was the life of a high school kid in Connecticut, wasn't that? Uh, Are you me? Dude, 10 k in high school. Yeah, Oof. when I look what back you, on it, what, what did you do? It's like alarming when I think you about it. You thought you were the king of New York, right there, with ten grand. Yeah, I was the king of the Mordecai land. The Mordecai, <laughs> the the man of Mordecai was uh, 
uh, I was making it rain while singing Baruch Atah I like Shel Shabbat. I was like just making it rain $100 bills. And 10K later, it's all gone. But yeah, I would have every one of my favorite players was a cardboard cutout. And who would have thought, you know, uh, seven, 16 years later, there'd be a cardboard cutout of us in City Field in a pandemic. So uh, times are wild. But mom, good to see you a year and a half without uh, seeing me. And here we are. Yep, I, I'm not letting you go back, so. Aww. Oh, that's nice. Unfortunately, I do need to go back and, and go to City Field, so I'm going to leave on Friday. This show would have already dropped, but uh, second Fox 5 appearance Thursday night, Figgy, so, you know, I'm a TV star like you now. I'm on my way to an Emmy Award. You won, what, one or two Emmys? I'm, I'm coming for you for the Emmys. Uh, don't worry. They'll have one for, you know, the short clips, a minute or less. Yeah, 60 seconds or less Emmy 60 Award. 60 seconds or less. I'll be the greatest 60 second or less TV star in the history of a uh, modern television oh hey, that's how it starts my man that's how it starts yeah we go 60 then two minutes then five minutes i get a progression by the time i'm 40 i'll get 10 minutes of airtime on television let's hope for that <laughs> god oh. willing god willing speaking of airtime and television mom thanks for joining the show we have to add you the guest list uh you'll have to become a loyal listener now and call in okay i'll be there be there brooklyn's finest noel brown everybody the that's the, right the world famous lincoln high school here it is bob brown you got noel brown here's bob yeah, next time i see howie <laughs> <laughs> you what are you gonna do thank him <laughs> yeah oh man yeah he, the punch the, that was him hitting his fist so howie rose get ready don't see bob brown in an alleyway he might uh he might have a low low sugar ice cream uh, in, in, right in your face uh, and uh, check the blood sugar afterwards. Joining us next, uh, that was Noel and Bob Brown, but we have a third guest. It'll be Howard Johnson, 1986 World Series champion. Matt joins us next on Amazing But True. Joining us now is a 1986 World Series champion that played nine seasons with the Mets from 1985 through 1993 as an infielder and an outfielder. He was a two-time All-Star in 1989 and 1991, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner in those years, as well as the NL Home Run and RBI leader in 1991, which also happens to be the year I was born. He also won a World Series with the Tigers in 1984. He later would go on to be the Mets' first base coach in 2007 and then the hitting coach that year through 2010 where nelson figueroa was on the team maybe not hitting as uh, many as whoa, bats whoa, as, whoa, as whoa. he would like and not as many hits as he would like <laughs> let's welcome in hojo howard johnson to amazing but true hojo what's going on man welcome to the show guys it's good to hear from you everything's doing just fine for me right now did you coach up figgy on how to hit how bad of a hitter was he wow <laughs> i tried man but you know <laughs> either you got it or you don't Figgy, right i mean it's one or the other he did he actually did his best he did his, did his best yep no it, that was the, the god's honest truth the first thing i would ask hojo on every pitcher that we would face i'm like all right what's his out pitch and he goes just fall off as many pitches as you can please <laughs> <laughs> Did you teach him how to lay down a bunt? Like players, t players today, Hojo cannot lay down bunts. Could Figgy lay down a bunt at least? Figgy could lay a bunt down. He could do a lot. Don't let his words fool you. He was an athlete out there, and he could do a lot of things. See, that's the thing that I tried to tell him. I said I, I didn't want to embarrass myself. I wanted to put the ball in play, not strike out, foul off, run up the pitcher's pitch count, and then let him make a mistake to you know the guy in the one hole and, and make something happen. But that's right. handling the right, handling the bat. That's all you want to do as a National League pitcher. Are you a fan of the universal DH? I'm not. 
Really? Wow. I'm not. That might surprise you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a, I'm a little more of a purist uh, when it comes to it. I, I'm not a fan of the DH. I, I like the mental game with the pitcher hitting late in the ball game. You have to be more creative with your bench. You got to have a bullpen that's a little bit deeper. Those are the things I enjoy about the game. I mean, just growing up, always following the National League. You know, I like that style of play. Came up with the American League and and had the DH obviously, but then you know went to the Mets and. I enjoyed the late innings, uh, the double switches, all the things that happened late, late in ball games in national. Oh, just I, I disagree with you, but I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. I want to see the DH because I, I've had enough of pitchers hitting 087, which is like what Francisco Lindor is hitting right now. <laughs> uh, I, I want to see the DH. I hear you. I don't I, listen. I don't. Play, I I totally get your point, and it doesn't bother me. I just like the game the way it was, but it's it's good. Hey, if people want it, I'm all for it. As a major league hitting coach, what exactly does that entail? I don't think people understand what your job is on a day to day basis. It's a thankless job. You know what? I loved it. I I love being involved with players on a personal level. Just as a rough, you know, idea of what what happens in a in a day with a major league hitting coach is, you know, you're Early at the field, obviously, because there's guys going to be getting there early, wanting to hit early and stuff. And you've always got guys that, you know, you have, you have some guys swinging the bat good on your team, and then you have some guys that aren't swinging the bat well. You try to make sure that the guys who are swinging the bat well, that they stay in that place where we're at right now. And, and the guys who aren't, you want to try to help them as much as possible. And I'm, I'm talking about all the way down your roster. You need to be aware of all the guys, not just your stars. So, like right now, Lindor's the focus. But you gotta you gotta think about the last guys on your roster and how they can impact your team and help you win games. So you want to keep those guys in a good place as well as much as you can. Usually they're not getting the at bats that the older guys are getting, so you just gotta gotta be aware of it. And you know you get to the field early. There's a lot of a lot of film to watch, a lot of video, a lot of computer stuff to go over. You know you have your all your scouting reports. We get reams of material prior to the team that's we're playing coming into town or if we're going on the road we'll get that stuff we'll have a chance to pour over it on the plane and stuff but there's just stuff all the time so i'm like i'd be watching video constantly biggie and i'm looking for you know the obvious thing so what's their outfits you know what do they like to go to when they're in trouble how are they going to try to put guys away left-hand batters versus right-hand batters i'll watch all that stuff and i'll come up with an idea of what this guy is all about and when he's in trouble what he's going to what he's going to try to do to you and then uh, you talk to your scouts if it's the first day into the you know series against a team, you know that day you may have a phone call with scouts uh, and the manager as they go over the the whole roster of the opponents and just kind of he'll give you his idea of what he saw in the advanced guys. You basically you prepare a meeting. And so you have meetings almost every day. You know, you set it up where whoever's the starting pitcher that night, you spend some, you know, quite a bit of time on him. But then you'll go over the bullpen and you'll just kind of have a rundown and you coordinate with your video coordinator on the team who they have video running of opposing pitchers on the screen. You know, guys are watching them throw and you're describing what they're seeing. And if there's anything special that, that you want to throw in there about, you know, do they, uh, is there a tell that they use? Can you pick what kind of pitch is coming from his delivery? All that sort of thing kind of goes into it, and that's your time to kind of you know make an overview of it. And then, of course, during the seat, you know, during the game, you are basically you know with the notebooks and stuff. But you know, one thing I realized about it from a hitting coach, no matter how much information you have, and believe me, there's way more information that you need. Your best tool is your eyes, and so watch the game, watch how the pitcher's throwing. You know, you can obviously go with the percentages that are handed to you, but at the same time. 
that's not a guarantee. And you have to be have a feel for what's going on in the ball game. And you get that by watching hitters and talking to them, just trying to be immersed in it. And so it's really a gosh, it's twelve hour day job. And you know what? I enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved the uh, the day to day stuff. Yet it all falls back down to well, I guess it's the hitting coach's fault. I don't agree with that. And I just saw Chili Davis get fired for a lack of production by a team, the whole team, not just a few guys. How could that possibly be put on one individual? I know because what they say, it's always easier to fire the coach. You know, you can't fire the players. I mean, Lindor's not going anywhere. You know, those guys, Alonzo's not going. These guys aren't going anywhere. And so it, it, it just falls to you. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. You're paid to produce and put your players in the best possible position to be successful. And you're right. I mean, there's so much information that it can cause you to just freeze because like you said you go up there and it's 70 percent this in this situation you're looking for that but you you get something different and you're out i mean you can't just say well was, you know the percentages were my favorite my bad you have to compete at the end of the day you have to say to yourself when you're in the batter's box it's like it's me against him and i know the situation coaches need to not only communicate what the other team is about and the other pitcher Chances are most guys are already aware of it, but it's more to keep your own guys in line and making sure that they're where they need to be to be successful. And you do that by watching and spending time and getting to know these guys. And there's no substitute for that. The part of the game that has changed a lot for me is the lack of the, of the interpersonal side of it. You put numbers out on a pitcher and it's like you have all these percentages, but that doesn't pertain to they're going to pitch me differently than they're going to pitch, you know, Daryl Strawberry or Keith Hernandez or Kevin Elster. They're going to pitch guys differently. You can't just say, well, this is what he does and this is what he's going to do because there's too many variables involved. And he might make a mistake. You just don't know that. You have to just prepare the career directly so that they, these guys can absorb what needs to be absorbed. And I've had this happen to me many times where I've talked to guys in the dugout right before they're going up. Hey, be alive right here. This is what he likes to do, especially second time through the lineup. Be, be ready for that. What happens is they go up there and the pitcher almost does exactly what you thought he was going to do. However, the, the guys, either they blanked out or they forgot or whatever. So there's just no guarantee that just because you don't have information or do have information that's going to work it comes down to you against him and that's what it has to ultimately get to competing remember hitting is about learning how to deal with failure you're going to make out almost eight out of ten times how do you determine success of a hitting coach when the team at large is making out seven and a half times out of ten and they're probably leading the league in hitting at 250 i can't wrap my head around it because we sit here and we, we heard about oh it's the team's approach and the team you know, adopted this mystery figure of Donnie Stevenson. And they gave all the credit to this guy, Donnie Stevenson, when it's Chili Davis and Slater who are busting their ass, trying to get these guys on their routine and keep them locked in. And uh, they have a good game finally. And they turn around and they're like, oh, Donnie Stevenson had us locked in. Donnie had us, the uh, approach coach had us locked in. And then they wonder why they go ahead and they fire the coaches that actually do exist if they're making a mockery of it almost. That to me is, is disrespectful. That's disrespectful to the game at large. Yeah, it's funny because coaches are always going to take the heat. You know, players are going to take it, but the nature of sports, professional sports especially, is all it's going to be on the coaches to, to get it out of the players. And you know what? Even though it's a thankless job and it's difficult, and guys get fired, and I've been I've been fired twice. I still love it. I I want I want that. You know, maybe it's 
playing in New York or being a part of New York for a long time, I want to be held accountable. Like if guys aren't, because it makes me better. Even though it's not fair to take take all the blame, you get your job is the one that gets you know axed. I'm good with it. I mean, that's the league we're in, and I accept that. Here's the thing, too, you guys. This is another point that I like to make is that. We have more information now in all of pro sports than ever before. I mean, you can't escape it. You could stay up 24 hours a day watching and, get, and trying to get as much information as you can. And yet, players are doing worse. There has to be a reason why players are doing worse. There, there can only be so much information that is, is useful or absorbed. To me, the coaches are the ones who need to figure out, along with the players, this is what works for Pete. This is what works for Lindor. This is what works for McNeil. This is, you know, Dom Smith, all these guys. This is how we're going to tailor it to you. So you have all this stuff out there, but it doesn't tell you what's exactly what's going to happen. And it's going to change based on who's hitting. And it's going to change based on the scoreboard. It's going to change based on the defense and all those things that go into it. So that's all my point. That was my only point was that there's so much out there, yet we're not seeing guys hitting 400. We're not seeing pitchers, you know, winning 30 games. We're not seeing the crazy amount of numbers that you would expect that somebody would break through and post them, but they're not. No one's doing that. I mean, the birds are chirping for you in Nashville, Tennessee. We hear them in the background, Hojo, but they didn't chirp <laughs> for Chili Davis uh, Monday night. I know you guys just dove into it, but did he get the short end of the stick, do you think, in the end? Well, I mean, not being there, it's hard to say. You know, guys get fired. You know, I've been, like I said, I've been fired twice. And it, it's not fun. And, you know, you just you have to accept it. And I'm not going to – I can't really say, like, he got short end of the stick because I don't know everything involved. But, you know, I will say Chili's an awesome person, man. And he's a tr- tremendous coach and res- well-respected in the game, you know, by a lot of people. I don't think that it's meant to mean that he's not capable. I just think that kind of going back to what we were saying in the beginning, that, you know, it, it is incumbent upon the players. And unfortunately, in nowadays, you know, there's less accountability on the players. I think it falls way more disproportionately to the coaches. And so that's what happened. Until he got, he got caught and I got hit. And that's, he got gaffed, as they used to say. It's just a sad thing. But you know what? He's done a great job in his career. And he's been a great player and great coach. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's all your fault. What do you say to Francisco Lindor? I mean, what is the message at this point? I mean, he's batting 157. I, I think I weighed more than that in first grade. I was uh, I was the biggest kid in the grade. So what's the message to him? Like, my philosophy would maybe be just from the far, maybe sit him for a few days, let him get his mind right, but his swings are lazy. You know, his emotions in the in the dugout seem nice, and he's, he's pumping up the team, but on the field you see him throw the bat, he gets frustrated, and it, it seems to be mental. We've seen this guy hit 30 homers and drive and 80 90 runs and hit 300 so as an ex-hitting coach or, and still coaching what's your what's your message to francisco lindor man that's a tough one because as, as a hitting coach and if he was my guy and he was going through those things i'm going through those things with him you know and so you empathize and you feel for him when it's not working and when it is when it does work you're on cloud nine with him and and so you have to preach patience I mean, we're not being there like every day, like seeing him from day one at camp and, you know, going through the, the progressions that I know that the coaches had been making with him and not being able to see, you know, from inside, inside out, like what is going on in the locker room, you know, what he's actually doing. I don't know. I don't know. But here's the thing. I think Chile took a bad hit on the, uh, the approach. I mean, I think, I, you know, I know that the, the approach that they want is long ball. 
and I, and I understand that, and I don't disagree with it. However, I don't think you can be successful having one swing, one approach all the time. I think you have to be flexible. You know, you have to be flexible. You just can't can't play golf and be the best in the world if all you do is drive the ball 400 yards. You know, you have to do other things. And so the hitting is no different. Pitching is no different. Otherwise, they just say, hey, go out there and throw 100, 100 miles an hour every pitch. You're going to get hit if you do that. You have to be able to do other things. So I don't know what I don't know what the other things are with, with Lindor that they were trying to do, but I wish I could I was in there to see it, but I don't. I can't see it. So I really don't know what all, all I can do is I say, Hey man, you're gonna get hot. Those numbers on the back of your baseball card are gonna be they're there for a reason. You did that and so it's gonna turn for you. You're gonna get hot and you're gonna be, you're gonna remember it. And this could be the turning point today. Who knows? But just keep working, and we're going to see what happens tonight. I, I remember back when I was with Met as a coach, and Jason Bay came. Oh no! And as a free, you're going to give me nightmares. You're uh, going to give me nightmares, Hojo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, talk, I feel bad for Jason because this guy took it home every night. I did everything I could to, to try to keep him positive. We hit a lot of extra. We did a lot of things. I showed him his numbers. He was frustrated because City Field at that time was still the Grand Canyon, and Jason was used to hitting the ball out, and he was having a hard time getting the ball out of City Field. But his numbers, his power and his production numbers were actually okay. His home runs were num- numbers were down, but his double numbers were up, and his RBIs were right, right in line with what he did at Boston, I think. So he wasn't far off from a production standpoint than what he was doing or used to doing. He wasn't getting the, the pump. He wasn't getting the homer that he wanted to get. Brandon, him and him, there was other guys on the team too at the time that were having a hard time with the field. And so I just tried to flip the script on them and say, hey, look, let's, just, let's lead the league in doubles. Let's do these different things. You'll hit your homers. Let's not focus on that because if we focus on that, we're going to get beat every night. I was always taught home runs are are mistakes. The pitcher throws home runs. You don't hit them. And so that maybe that's different now. Maybe they expect you to hit home runs on pitcher's pitches, but guys are throwing the ball where they want to throw it. You're not going to hit them. I mean, I wouldn't tell a guy that, but I'm just saying that the reality is if pitchers throw the ball where they should, nobody would get a hit. And I, I guarantee Figgy would probably agree with that because everybody has a weakness. Everybody's got a hole there. So... That's a fact. Well, there may be an opening soon, Hojo. Do you want to come back to the Mets? I don't know if Dave Quattlebaum is uh, the full-time guy moving forward, but bring back Hojo. Are you in? <laughs> oh, I, w- I would definitely listen. I mean, I, w- I, w- I love I love coaching. I love coaching guys at the top level. It would be, be, be fun. But, you know, hey, I'm all about where the team is right now and the guys that are there now, and I, and I believe that they're going to get it done. So I'm kind of excited to see where they go from here. ShowtimeSportsAcademy.com. Check him out. You can follow Howard Johnson on Twitter at 20Hojo. He's a 1986 World Series champion, two-time World Series champ, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner. It's Mets great, former coach. He's done it all. Hojo, we got to have you on again later in the season. We could talk with you for hours, and hopefully by then you'll at least got like a free week at the Howard Johnson Hotel, man. Yeah, there you go. I'll let you guys work on it. Right. I appreciate it, man. I had fun. It was good, uh, good, good podcast. So good to connect with uh, Figgy and uh, Jake. It's good to talk to you. That closes, or maybe it doesn't, episode 49, the Armando Benitez edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Yeah, it might be our first blown show, but thanks to you, Jake and Brian Munguia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. 
Gracias, mis amigos. Well, Armando Benitez is not saying gracias. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday following the Mets three-game set at City Field against the Diamondbacks. I will see you there. Let's go, Mets.